It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. It's a victory Sunday for the Ohio State Buckeyes after they walloped Indiana yesterday. 54 to 7. Buckeye Breakdown has our Upon Further Review podcast Sunday morning to tell you all about what you need to know from yesterday's incredible performance. A fourth consecutive blowout win, four straight games with at least 50 points. Right now, the offense looks like they could beat anybody in America. The defense continues to play well. How much of that's overreaction and prisoner of the moment? And how much of that is legitimate, regardless of the competition the Buckeyes have seen recently? We've got it all coming up for you next, Buckeye Breakdown. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Morning, Coach. Welcome back. This is uh, this is a great day to be a Buckeye fan because Ohio State's coming off a fifty-four to seven annihilation. I'm I'm running out of blowout victory terms because we're using them, you know, week in and week out. Evisceration, annihilation, destruction—they um, all feel appropriate. Ohio State absolutely blew Indiana's doors off yesterday in all facets of the game. And I think the thing we have to get to right away is how much of that is because Indiana not only didn't have Michael Penix, but Jack Tuttle got knocked out after the first series and they were essentially playing their third and fourth quarterbacks, Um, you know, obviously down a couple of players defensively. But even still, I, I just thought there were specific instances in the game where, you know, Ohio State came out and looked so good so quickly on both sides of the ball. It just didn't really matter to me so much about who, you know who was on the field and who wasn't. It was as impressive a win, I think, as the Buckeyes have had all year. Brandon, good morning. Absolutely. Uh, I think the words we're running out of are almost biblical. And to have four consecutive games uh, where the Buckeyes score over 50 points, I believe the stat last night was that the 1903 Michigan Wolverines were the last team in the Big Ten to do that, which is just mind-blowing. Uh, they are scoring at an alarming rate right now. Uh, and I, teams can't keep up in this track meet. And this is what we talked about, you know, on Friday going into this contest. We said, does Indiana have the offense and the game control clock time to just even hang into this one? And they didn't. Last night, up front, that was the battle cry. The offensive line and defensive line of Ohio State dominated. I mean, to look at this, the 14 tackles for loss in 55 plays. I mean, that is absurd. That, I mean, to look at that in that regard. With the starters, at one point in the game, I think it was 14 tackles for loss, and I want to say it was like 40 plays, uh, which is an alarming rate if you're preparing for, I mean, over over 35% of your plays are tackles for loss. It was it was a just complete, um, utter destruction in all three phases, even even the punting. I mean, to have the punt go in, you know, have a snap go in the back of the end, and then have Marvin Harrison Jr., out of all people, make the tackle on the safety. 
there. It was it was a phenomenal game across the board. And I know on the bus ride back last night, uh, back down to Columbus, I'm sure the coaching staff was really happy watching what they saw on film. Uh, and they probably were spending a lot of time talking to recruits. And that was the biggest thing that I took away from this game is the talent disparity between the Indiana Hoosiers and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Indiana has recruited at a higher level than they ever have in the history of Hoosier football. There are guys going to Bloomington that never would even think about going to Bloomington to play football. And Ohio State is just that much better. It echoes the call of why they have to go hit on the recruits that they're going to attack. You look at the guys that played last night, there are not a lot of misses out there for Ohio State. And there's guys here and there uh, in different eras. But for the most part, I mean, every player that Ohio State has in this roster that Ryan Day and his staff have recruited, I mean, just an absolutely great, great job by them. And they're executing. They're playing at a high level. They came off the bus last night, and they played fast. They played fun. And they got started. And one of the things that we'll talk about later is I thought it was kind of unique that Ryan Day got Jeremy Ruckert so involved so early in the offense. And I think this is part of kind of a quiet little bit of, dare you say, ego or dare you say confidence to say, hey, we know Indiana's Sunday guy is Peyton Hendershot. Peyton Hendershot, the tight end for Indiana, is a guaranteed Sunday guy. He's a very good player. He's probably one of the best in the Big Ten, if not the best in the Big Ten. And what did, a, what did Ryan Day do early? He had little passes to get Jeremy Ruckert involved, and it ended up manifesting in him having his most productive offensive game this season so far. Uh, I totally agree. I thought that was pretty funny. You know, the, the the day that Jeremy Ruckert has just a little bit more offensive production happens to be against a really good tight end. Hmm. I wonder <laughs> if there was some game planning behind that. Um, you know, look, it's it's impressive because Ohio State is they, – they appear to be that much better every week than their opponent. I, I realize – you know, I said this last night. I've said this for a couple of weeks now. I don't want to get overly worked up about beating, you know, defenses the caliber of Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. And and yet, now that we've seen this four weeks in a row, I, I think you can't help but at least acknowledge last night you watched the game. And it's literally like Ohio State was playing a different sport than Indiana was. They're faster. They're bigger. They're far more physical at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I don't think Ohio State had a single negative play in the first quarter and a half. And all of a sudden, I mean, you seriously, you blink twice. It was 37 to 7. I've got a couple stats here I want to throw your way that sort of illustrate how wild this game was. So Indiana has 128 yards of total offense, 128 in a four-quarter game. 75 of that came on the first drive. They had 53 yards of offense the rest of the game, and 17 of those yards came on the final four plays when they were literally running out the clock at the end of the fourth quarter. They basically had 39 yards of offense after their first drive and before they ran the clock out. That is bonkers. That's literally a yard per play, basically. Um, I I have never seen a Division One football game between two Power Five teams that that's been the case. And maybe I didn't pay close enough attention to what Georgia did to Vanderbilt because I know that was a, a bloodbath. But I didn't I didn't see the stats from that game. Um, but man, I'm telling you, I like that is wow type stuff to me. I don't care you know, who's hurt or who's not playing. Micah McFadden is legitimately a top 10 linebacker in the country. He played his buns off last night and, and 
you know, was kind of irrelevant. Um, on the offensive side, um, I'm a I'm a big fan, by the way, of, of Bill Landis, who writes for The Athletic. Bill's a great guy, but he is uh, – he's one of my favorite guys on the beat. And I've said a number of these things, but I think he put it really succinctly. Uh, so I'm going to read you a, an excerpt from what he wrote last night in his postgame story. I'd, I really encourage you to check it out. I know The Athletic's a subscription site, but it's it's certainly worthwhile. <clears throat> uh, he's talking about how in sync the offense has been. Uh, he says, in sync, this is, again, this is a quote from his uh, article last night. In sync is one way to put it. Another would be to say that it feels like Ohio State's offense is operating in a video game mode on easy with all the sliders turned up to 100. It's almost comical how effortless it's looked the last three games. The offense has had 24 drives with C.J. Stroud at quarterback against Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. It scored touchdowns on 20 of them. The other four were a field goal, a kneel down at the end of the half against Maryland, a three-play drive to end the half against Rutgers, and a punt to open the second half on Saturday night. That was the first time the first-team offense had been held to a punt since the second quarter of the Akron game on September 25th. In its last 156 plays with Stroud at quarterback, the offense has scored 150 points. That's absurd. That is completely absurd. So, again, I... I I realize, you know, the, the level of competition. I know the people that don't want to uh, accept or believe what they're seeing from the Buckeyes yet are going to, the first thing they're going to say is Ohio state hasn't beaten an opponent that I care about. You know, they lost to Oregon. who was the only good team on their schedule. They couldn't get it done. And, and the other teams they've beaten. So what? And, and I get that. But I think if you're really actually truly watching the game, the team you saw on the field against Oregon and the team you see on the field now, it's it's like it's a completely different team. From a confidence perspective, literally on defense, it's a different scheme. It's a different play caller. You've seen some different personnel in places. I mean, it's truly a different group. This team is really scary right now. Brendan, we talk about it all the time. It's a quarterback-driven sport. And the reason I'm going to bring up the quarterback position is twofold. One, you look at the fact that C.J. Stroud is playing absolutely bonkersly good. I mean, he is completing passes. He's playing. I mean, his patience last night, and this is where, and I know like the, I believe it was Pro Football Focus last night, gave a shout out to his best throw of the year, um, which was the uh, the one over the middle, uh, ended up like triple coverage where he just placed it perfectly. But I, that was a great throw. My favorite throw of the night of C.J. Stroud was the check down to Cade Stover. And this was, and someone goes, wait, check down to Cade Stover. He went through his progression. Cade Stover was the fifth receiver in the progression on that play. We are watching a 19-year-old quarterback mature at an alarming rate. And when he can sit back there and the offensive line can give him the time to do this, what he's going to do is he's going to pick people apart. This kid is special. I mean, and the ability for him to, to understand, I'm not going to run. Like, I'm going to wait. Somebody's going to get open. And he extends the play with his arm, his mind, and his legs. And it's something that's really exciting to see from that standpoint. I say this about quarterback play because he's extending the plays for the offense. The offensive line is giving him time. But the defense has really only played one quarterback who played lights out. And that's Anthony Brown Jr. did against Ohio State for Oregon. 
Now, a lot of us have watched Oregon since then. He has played absolutely awful since he played against Ohio State. Anthony Brown played the game of his life that day, and that's what it took for them to be able to beat Ohio State that day. We're going to see Ohio State going down the road, and we've got – I don't want to jump ahead, but we're going to go play Penn State next week. And everyone's like, well, Penn State lost to Iowa and Illinois and da-da-da-da-da. Like, you can't fault Ohio State for this. And this happens every single year. Ohio State dominates in the Big Ten. And then people go, well, they only play in the Big Ten. No, they don't only play in the Big Ten. They're playing against FBS Division I college football programs that recruit the same way they recruit, that try to go get the same type of players, that have incredible coaches that scheme things up. You said earlier, like 75 play, seventy-five yards on the first drive last night. Nick Sheridan in the Indiana offense. Nick, all week as an offensive coach, and I'm going down a big rabbit hole here, but as an offensive coach, you have on your call sheet your openers. And what I mean by your openers is usually you script between 8 to 16 of your first plays within the game that you anticipate how the game's going to go. Those 8 to 16 plays, those players that are executing them, they've run those plays X amount of times, X amount of times, X amount of times, X amount of times. Brendan, I don't know if you have a jumper or not, but I'm sure going back and forth between us, one of us could shoot a basketball better than the other person. Just God-given. Now, if you have more repetition, let's just say in this analogy, you're a better throw, better uh, free throw shooter than I am. All right? Well, I take a ton of reps, and you don't practice those reps for quite some time, and I shoot, and I shoot, and I shoot, and I shoot, and I shoot. Well, I'm going to make more free throws most likely because of the fact that what? I've, I've practiced those reps. That's what those openers do. Like last night, Indiana had those openers. They had the Ohio State schemed up for that first drive because those players had run those plays. Probably starting on Tuesday in practice, ran it Wednesday, ran it Thursday, or walked through it on Thursday, depending on what model they use it there. And then Friday had a fast practice or whatever they do at Indiana. And they, so those guys have seen those plays four times. Most likely those plays that they were running in that opening drive, they've run four to five times during the week. The reason I bring that up is because of the repetitions that they get, it gives them an ability to have a little bit of confidence in the place and be ready to go. Ohio State, on the other hand, is just so far superior athletically uh, and also with what they're calling that it puts them on a different level. And as they continue to do that, the, def- the defense settled down last night. They played really, really good football, really sound football. I, I can't say enough about the development of Steel Chambers. I-, I think that he adds another element to the defense. Now, I know last night on the stat sheet, I think he only had one tackle. But the way that he moves, the way that he holds people up for other people to come in and get them, um, you know, they've done a really good job at linebacker. They're finally starting to play a little bit better there. But then the defensive line. Larry Johnson and his guys last night wreaked havoc all night long. Haskell Garrett is the key to the defense of the Ohio State Buckeyes. What are you talking about? If Haskell Garrett is healthy and is able to go penetrate and move people and get going, like the Ohio State defense plays that much better. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like when they were like outstanding defensively, when Greg Shiano was there, like they had McCoy, they had Joe McCoy. Joe McCoy, you can't work around a great defensive tackle. When teams have great a great defensive tackle – that guy's going to be in the play one way or the other. You can't isolate him. You really can't read him. There's not an RPO game to get away from it. You can do that with defensive ends. You watch the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night. Vaughn Miller was the only player that the Broncos had that the Browns were concerned about. What do they do? They read him. They did different things. They chipped. They nudged him. You can't do that with a defensive tackle. So when the defensive tackles play that strong, it makes everyone behind them that much better. And that's where the Buckeyes are playing. And it's such an elite and high level right now defensively. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the offense for just a second because you were talking about your favorite throw from C.J. Stroud. My favorite throw, with the exception of that one over the middle, that, I mean, you, you feel like you're you know, wiping drool off the side of your face because you just don't see 
19-year-old redshirt freshman quarterbacks put that ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba into triple coverage in that window. I mean, it is like that was a ridiculous throw. My favorite throw of the night was one that didn't count. Uh, Stroud was flushed out to the right-hand side and looked and looked and looked like he was going to run, had a, you know a, a, at least a three, four-yard you know gain if he'd used his feet, uh, and kept himself behind the line of scrimmage and threw a touchdown to Jeremy Rucker. But the play took so long to develop, and Matthew Jones thought, I better go protect my quarterback because he looks like he's going to run. Matthew Jones was a mile down the field and got flagged for being an illegal man downfield. Uh, and and the play was negated. But the maturity of C.J. Stroud in that moment to, you know, it, it, it continued to show me that, you know, this guy, it, his athleticism is impressive, and he certainly can run if he needs to run. We saw him pick up a first down, ran over the middle, and, and you know, dove for a first down last night. Um, I am more and more impressed with his ability to be aware of what's going on around him. And, and recognize, one, his value, right? He's not putting himself in dangerous situations where he could get hurt. Uh, but two, he still makes smart plays when he's on the move. And you just don't see that a lot from freshman quarterback that have happy feet. A, a perfect example, a kid who is literally in the same kind of boat, Donovan McCulley is forced into action last night. And look at how raw McCulley is. He's clearly a good athlete. He is clearly a mile behind C.J. Stroud in his development, throwing the football and running an offense. Um, it, it's it's just really special to watch what Stroud is doing right now. So my favorite throw of the day was one that didn't count. It happens. As an O-lineman, I go, just take off. Like in that situation there, <laughs> like you're blocking. You've been trying to get downfield. You're trying to pick this up. You think the guy take, like, I mean, C.J. took off like he was going to run. At the last second, right. he's like, oh, wait a second. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm going to throw that in there, um, which is interesting. And there were two guys open on the play, which blows your mind um, as you're going through it and watching the film. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's been a remarkable, remarkable team to watch. And I, I think with C.J. Stroud, the difference is, is his preparation. His preparation. This is what – this is what – and, Brendan, we go back to at the beginning of the season, and I know we said there wasn't a quarterback controversy, and we, you and I would debate back and forth about this. What C.J. Stroud was doing behind the scenes that nobody else saw. I guarantee you he's the first guy in. He's the last guy out. I know that he's working really hard. Corey Dennis has done a good job, you know, developing him as a quarterback as well as Ryan Day. And I'm sure he's investing in the fact that he needs to make sure he is mentally and physically prepared to play every single week. He's surrounded, and he, he doesn't – he's smart. C.J. Stroud's a smart kid. He understands he's surrounded by probably the greatest receiver core maybe ever assembled in college football history. And I know that's a bold statement to make, but realistically, I want you to send in who you think, what receiver course were better. I know there's never been one at Ohio State, but another, you know, another university, if you want to throw it in there, like, hey, this university had these guys. And don't say there were two guys. I mean, we're talking three, four, five, six deep um, at the position. It's been really fun to watch. And I think CJ's understanding that moment. He wants to embrace that moment while he has these guys here. And, you know, also help out, you know, and understand that this offense, like, it's ridiculously good. Travion Henderson looks like he's untackleable at times. I mean, Mayan Williams even last night. Mayan Williams averaged a pedestrian seven yards a carry. And I think Buckeye fans were like upset to see him in on that drive. They're like, well, where's Travion Henderson? And, you know, Travion Henderson still had three touchdowns, still had a great, you know, great he, he day. He had 10 touches yeah. and scored three <laughs> touchdowns. 
he's he is going to break Maurice Claret's Ohio State freshman uh, touchdown record of of eighteen touchdowns. He's going to break it within the next maybe the next game. He's only three shy. He literally hasn't had a hundred touches yet this year. Which, not to interrupt, but that's remarkable to think. And I I know Mo Claret like Brendan. You watched him growing up. I watched him. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a year or two younger than him, but watching him play at Ohio State, he was like unbelievable. And like, there's still like these. We make documentaries about the fact that he was there for a year. I realistically think going forward, and we are watching the greatest running back Ohio State will ever have in Travion Henderson right now. Wow. I know that's a bold statement. I said it last night. My father-in-law is a diehard Ohio State fan. We were watching the game together, and I said it, and he smiled, and he goes, I hope you're right because he's a lot of fun to watch. And, and when I say that, I know you and I were texting back and forth last night about some of the guys, but like, I just, what he brings to the table, he's just that different. And some of these other guys may have a, you know, stat wise, he's better than them stat wise. These other guys, like at the time that they played, you know, and let's say, what's your Mount Rushmore of running backs, Brendan, for Ohio State? I mean, I, I don't uh, I mean, there, There's no way you don't have Archie on it. I would say just, this is a quick snap. Yeah, kind of thing. I would say Archie, Eddie George, maybe some of it is a little bit recency bias, but I'd have a hard time not putting Ezekiel Elliott or J.K. Dobbins on there. Hundred percent. That would that, that would be mine. Going into the season, I would have had Archie Griffin, Eddie George. Um, you know, and, and I say this in the modern era. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I didn't watch guys in the fifties, so I, I'm sorry. There's sure. Right there, it's like, hey, you know, so and so, nineteen fifty to the great. Archie won the Heisman twice. Eddie George won the Heisman. Zeke, J.K. Dobbins, like those are really good running backs. What Trayvon Henderson's doing as a true freshman right now is ridiculous. And those guys didn't play on offenses as good as this offense. And what I mean by that is not just a compliment to the offensive line, but we're still throwing for 300-plus yards per game, sometimes 400-yards-plus game, and he's still doing this with the touches he's getting. I, I think he's a generational player. I think we're going to look back at this time and go, holy smokes, this Trayvon Henderson kid was really, really special. And um, as he continues to play an upward trend like this, um, it's going to be hard-pressed to say that he's not on that Mount Rushmore um, when it's all said and done. Trayvon Henderson is averaging 8.77 yards per carry with 11 touchdowns, 11 rushing touchdowns on 79 rushes. (laughs) We're not talking about this kid for the Heisman, and I don't know why. Like what? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I mean, like we're t- CJ Stroud. I mean, here's the, I mean, yes, last yesterday, you know, uh, God bless the picket kid at Pitt. It's a great story. Blue collar kid. Dad's got the crew cut, grew up in Pittsburgh and you like, you know, gutsy move running and extending the ball against a bad Clemson team and getting a first down. Those guys lost to Western Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's not his fault. They scored 41 points in the game, but and he's having a great season. I'm not taking anything away from him. But what C.J. Stroud and Trayvon Henderson are doing right now, as freshmen, as freshmen, like this is absolutely insane right now. I, I, I think the Heisman thing is twofold for me. Uh, one, I don't think enough of the rest of the country is buying into how special these guys are because of what Ohio State has seen in terms of a strength of schedule. And too many people are, are quick to say they haven't played anybody. So not, not going to include that. Um, I think that's a big component of it. 
Yeah, I, I just I don't think it's fair yet. I really don't. I, I think that because Ohio State's going to continue to go down this track, and it's going to be watered down. All these teams, it's very incestuous. All these teams are going to play each other. Penn State's going to come into this game with two losses. They're going to walk out of it with a third loss. Shocker, I'm making my prediction ahead of time. And then you've got Michigan State plays Michigan this weekend. So, like, now you've got these different teams. They're going to beat up on each other. And then by the time Ohio State plays them, well, they're not that good. Well, that's not Ohio State's fault. It's not. Yeah. And I know I'm getting very, like, angry and passionate about this this morning. But I just – the more I watch this on film, um, I think it was Dusty uh, Dvorak uh, last night said this or um, during the game, and I think he made a really interesting comment. I, I've been I've been banging the drum for the Cincinnati Bearcats all season. But Cincinnati, and you watch them on film, and you watch Ohio State on film, Cincinnati played – Cincinnati played – Indiana, and it was a barn burner of a game. I mean, Cincinnati pulled away late. To say that Cincinnati's better than Ohio State is just – I don't think you can say that. It's yeah, they're undefeated. And and I'm, I'm probably speaking on both sides of my mouth saying, like, they haven't – you know, Cincinnati's not playing the same level of talent that Ohio State's playing right now. Realistically, where do you see Ohio State in the grandioso scheme of college football right now? Georgia sat at home last night. I mean, in, in Alabama, and I love Alabama. I think Alabama's great. It's historical resiliency there. They do a lot of great things. Alabama was fighting with Tennessee late in the third quarter. Tennessee's a, Tennessee's a team that got crushed by the transfer portal. Uh, they don't have the team players. I mean, they're, they're these teams. They lost to a Texas A&M team. Um, you know, nobody knocked Georgia when they beat up on Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt lost to Eastern Tennessee State University, ETSU. If anyone even knows where that's at, God bless you. Yeah. It's on the east side of the state, coach, coach, it's eastern Tennessee, of course. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, to really, I mean, to look at it from that standpoint, like, it's, I mean, who, like, well, this isn't Ohio State's fault, but the rest of the Big Ten. We look back now, this Minnesota team that we beat at the beginning of the year is now, you know, playing pretty good football. Without their best player. Without their best player. I mean, this is a team... And we had to play him with the guy for the most part of the game. And you go back into this game and you watch it and you and you watch Ohio State, you know, Minnesota. And, and the, the weekend that they beat or they lost to Bowling Green, like, I don't know what happened. That was an anomaly. I mean, Bowling Green is getting beat by everybody in the MAC right now as well. And not that and Minnesota's in the MAC right now. They're winning the MAC. But I say all that because here's what you, here's what you look at. There's so much parity in college football. There are going to be, and I'm calling my shot right now, there'll be two teams in the college football playoff with at least one loss. It's just, it's going to happen. It's just going to have to happen this year. And I just think the way it's going to play out, there's no way the ACC, a one-loss ACC team's not getting in. I don't, I don't know if Wake Forest can, can, make the ta- can run the table. You've got a very interesting Oklahoma team that's now playing a, like significantly better with the new quarterback um, who actually can run the ball, uh, which I was surprised at the beginning of the year. Rattler, I thought, couldn't run the ball last year. I didn't know why there was all the hype about him. But now we have this going into it um, as, as we buy into this going forward. Like, I, I don't know how, when you're looking at this, that you just don't look at this Ohio State Buckeye team and say, who doesn't want to watch these guys play right now? Like, who, is, sure. who honestly doesn't want to see this offense go play? They're exciting. They're playing. I mean, and they're, they're scoring a million points. And I really, really am I'm hoping, and I haven't watched enough of Penn State yet, which I will this week, and we'll, we'll break that down at a later time. But I'm really hoping – that they can continue this type of success and really kind of push forward and go beat a name brand like Penn State where that people have a little bit more historical respect for, uh, I think, than other teams are giving them. 
Jason uh, says, basically, who cares if, if we're ranked high at this point, keep playing at a high level, things will take care of themselves. I, I totally agree with that. But by the same token, I, it, it kind of helps me transition to what I wanted to say here about rankings. Um, rankings are not a forecast. Rankings are a reflection of what has happened, who you've beaten, what your record is, what you've done. Um, right now, I feel pretty darn confident in saying that I think Ohio State is the number two team in the country. I think Ohio State is only, you know, second to Georgia. This current group, this healthy group right now, I think Georgia is the only team in the country that is actually better than Ohio State. But I don't think the Buckeyes are going to be ranked number two, and I'm not sure they should be. Um, And frankly, I don't care if they are. It doesn't matter because they're going to make the college football playoff if they keep winning. This almost feels like the best situation possible. Ohio State's players know there is no margin for error. You have to win. If you lose, you're done. You're not getting in the playoff. End of story. I don't care how good your wins have looked. Two-loss team is not getting in. Um, If they win out, they are absolutely getting in the college football playoff because of the way they're playing right now. There's no way they're getting left out. So it's kind of a perfect storm of you're you're never going to be not focused going into a game because you literally have everything to lose if you're not focused. Uh, And you've got big games on your schedule the rest of the way. And look, this coaching staff does a good job of making sure the guys are ready to rock. They're going to, they're going to remind them, you know, that Penn state has played Ohio state closer than any other team. The last decade, the last time the Buckeyes lost a game in the big 10 East was Penn State in 2016. You better believe that's going to be brought up this week inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Nebraska is playing better football. I don't think they're playing good, but they are certainly playing better than they have the last two years. Purdue, you know, the Buckeyes fell asleep against Purdue a couple years ago, and look what happened. Plus, Purdue just beat Iowa. You better believe that the coaching staff is going to remind everybody that Purdue beat Iowa, and they've got a legitimate NFL wide receiver in David Bell. And then Michigan State and Michigan are going to be easy to get up for because both those teams have had good years. Michigan State's running the ball as well as anybody uh, anybody in the country. And Kenneth Walker is a legitimate potential Heisman candidate. You know, and, and the Michigan game takes care of itself. You don't need to manufacture anything for that game. So they're going to have the motivation that they need. But to kind of come full circle, you know, with where we were earlier, I just think that the execution and the talent right now is a huge gap between Ohio State and the rest of the league. There is a lot of parity in the Big Ten. This is a fun league to watch this year if you like college football. It's not that, oh, the Big Ten isn't any good because Ohio State's running away with the league. That has nothing to do with it. There's a reason why Purdue is good enough to go to Iowa, beat Iowa, and then come home and lose to a Wisconsin team whose offense has been atrocious all year. There's a reason why... Penn State, who looked so good against Iowa with Sean Clifford and then crumbled when he left the game, how often did did you and I talk about this, that why is Sean Clifford playing against Illinois? Penn State, you have no chance, no chance to beat the Buckeyes next week if Clifford isn't healthy. Rest him against Illinois. He played and they still lost. That's ridiculous. That's unthinkable, right? I mean, like the the Big Ten is is fun to watch, but it's it's fun to watch and 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 fun to root for games unless you're a fan playing against Ohio State because you got a ninety five percent chance of getting your teeth kicked in. That's just that's just what it is right now. 
No, and this is what people projected going into the season. People looked at this Ohio State team. They looked at the rest of the Big Ten, and they said Ohio State's going to dominate the Big Ten again. It's what That's what happened. Like, everyone goes and does this. And, and like, to look at the dominance that they have had has really gotten after it. And I agree. You know, there are there are some teams that are, are better than, you know, than some of the teams in the SEC right now. But realistically, I, I have to say Ohio State can't be punished for beating up on these teams. No. And I think what you watch and you see these guys get off the bus, you see them warm up, you see them do what how they, how they prepare for these games. It doesn't matter if they're playing Mickey Mouse Tech or if they're playing, you know, the Green Bay Packers. They approach each game the same way. And these players are accustomed to being hunted. There's two different types of teams in, in, in college football, the hunted and the hunters. And when the hunted have a hunter mentality, that's when you start seeing these elite teams go. They walk out of that stadium and they want to not only beat you, they want to demoralize you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They want to beat you so bad that you are affected by that game when you walk out of there, not just physically, but also watch them go on a losing streak after they play you because they just can't bounce back. They can't snap uh, after they, after they lose to you as Ohio state. And that's the kind of dominance that Ohio state is executing at right now. And I think as you go continue to see this, I know I mentioned it the other day. And when Penn state lost that program's a different way, they're pretenders. They don't believe that they can beat Ohio state on a regular basis. They say they do, but deep down in their hearts, they don't believe. And that's a big thing. And I, I know I said it, uh, you know, Brendan, you and I were texting about it back and forth last night. And it was a joke. I said, if I go, when Penn State loses to Iowa, they will lose a multiple games and will not be a factor in the college football playoff. And, and thank you, Nittany Lions. Thank you for your opportunity. Thank you for doing that, um, for making it come to fruition. Because the culture that is cultivated in these places is a what have you done for me lately type of culture. Ohio State has the humility to recognize that hey, you know what, we lost to Oregon. We weren't playing great defense against Tulsa. We weren't playing great defense against, you know, going down the road. And guess what they did? They took a step back. They didn't worry about promoting themselves on Twitter. They didn't worry about talking to the media. They didn't worry about doing those types of things. What they did was they got to work. They rolled their sleeves. They got, in the, they got into the woody, and they said, we're going to work. And we're going to continue to work, and we're going to continue to push, and we're going to continue to drive. And I think right now, that like chip on the shoulder thing kind of pushed them through the beginning of this. I don't think they have that anymore. I think that they now are believing that they have that excellence and they're manifesting it every single Saturday with just utter domination of who they're playing. And I know that's a lot of big words and a lot of different things that articulate this, but what we're watching right now is historical. And when they go on and they, they do this to Penn state, I think it's going to kind of be a wake up call to the rest of the country that, Hey, this Ohio state team is pretty special. And I'm that's why, you know, we talked about the rankings earlier, it really bothers me that uh, I, think, I really think what I'm nervous about is that they get into the college football playoff and they have to play Georgia in the opener. That's my concern. And that's why the rankings thing, and I know we're a long way off from that, but that's my concern with the rankings, kind of where they're at and the way that it goes, that if the college football playoff came out and they were sitting at number four, your national championship game right now should be Georgia and Ohio State. If Georgia and Ohio State play in that opener, it's kind of it kind of takes away a little bit from that national championship game. But we'll cross that. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about before then, but I just that's what's eating at me on my heart with the rankings. I um I, I don't share that concern because I genuinely believe even if Cincinnati runs the table and they, you know, and with all the other you know chaos going on around college football, if Cincinnati does get in the playoff, there is absolutely no way whatsoever 
that a group of five team gets in the playoff and doesn't have to play Georgia. I, I do not see Cincinnati making the postseason and not saying, okay, group of five team, you got your shot. Go play the number one team in the country. Um, regardless of, of record and resume, th- there's no way that they're going to, to rank Cincinnati higher than Ohio State with the way the Buckeyes are playing right now or, or an undefeated, potentially, Oklahoma team. Um, Ed has a question here. I, I think this plays into that. Will a two-loss Alabama make it? I say no. Uh, is it is it totally out of the question that it could happen? I guess it's possible because it's Alabama. I highly, highly doubt it. And I think if you're a Cincinnati fan watching this, the best thing you can hope for is for Georgia to beat Alabama because if you're an undefeated Cincinnati, you got a really good chance to get in ahead of a two-loss Alabama. I think that's, that's probably a given. I think um, – go oh. ahead. I think it's going to come down to I – mean, I think there's twofold there, Ed. And I think one is it comes down to how does – Alabama, let's assume they get to Atlanta. Let's say they play in Atlanta and for the SEC championship game. How does Alabama play Georgia in that game? If that game goes to overtime or that's a close, really, really close game, that two-loss Alabama team could make the playoff if, if you see a one-loss Big 12 team win the Big 12 assuming that the ACC is not – I mean, the ACC, the odds of an ACC team going, Wake Forest isn't running the table. And then you have to assume that Ohio State's going to win out. So that now you're sitting there, and that's also assuming Cincinnati wins out. Because obviously Cincinnati's still got to play an SMU team who's undefeated, who's a good football team uh, in, in that conference. I'm not saying Cincinnati's not going to beat them, but there is another undefeated team in their conference. It's not like they're they're just going to continue to just you know roll the ball out and go beat teams. Uh, and the Naval Academy, even while they can handle the one win Naval Academy yesterday, which is the options, the great equalizer. And that's not really a, you know, that's not fair to put it that way from that standpoint. But also, like, you know, when you're looking at it from that standpoint, you know, Coastal Carolina lost. So that's your other, you know, your other, you know, group of five team that was kind of pushing for this going forward um, the other night against App State. But what you see going forward is if I think if there's a one loss Big 12 team and Alabama plays Georgia down to the wire or to an overtime game in Atlanta, the committee, because of the human element, could potentially put Alabama back into the college football playoff. That's the only way I see Alabama getting in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, we, you just mentioned Cincinnati Navy. The the two best games yesterday, um, or maybe three best games, I guess, one of them was Penn State, Illinois, simply because of the nine overtimes. We can talk about that in a second. I thought that was fun, even though it was wacky. Um, Cincinnati Navy was a great game. And, and literally came down to the end, as was Oklahoma, Kansas. And the only thing I want to say about that is if you're going to knock Cincinnati for not blowing out the Naval Academy, you damn well better knock Oklahoma for not blowing out Kansas. Absolutely. I don't care that both of those teams are undefeated. Oklahoma is the most vulnerable, unbeaten team I've ever seen in my life. They literally look like they're going to lose every game they play. And to their credit, they don't, right? The game is about adjustments. You got 60 minutes to figure out how to score more points than the other team. Give them credit. They're undefeated. They have never once this year looked like a dominant team. Never. I think they're much better with Caleb Williams, at quarterback, than they are with Spencer Rattler, which is kind of alarming. But here we are. It's not even Halloween. And DJ Uyunglele at Clemson, and Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, who were most people's two favorite players to win the Heisman Trophy. They have both been benched 
it's not even November. So uh, again, I, I just don't think that if you're going to hammer Cincinnati for being a group of five team and oh they barely beat the Naval Academy, you better hold Oklahoma's feet to the fire in that same light. If you're going to have that debate. Yeah, I, Navy probably has a more talented roster than Kansas. They, I mean, they I, probably do. Kansas, Kansas may have the worst roster talent-wise in the country right now. And, you know, Lance Leipold's a great coach. I've coached against Lance um, at multiple levels, the Division three level as, as well as the Division one level. And Lance, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and his staff. They they will do a better job there. And you can drop in and you beat him at the D3 level if you want. No, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, no, he, uh, I give them credit. I give them a lot of credit for the for – the, what they've done so far to try to instill some hope and, and some culture at Kansas, which is desperately needed over the last decade. I mean, really since, um, you know, since uh, coach Mangino left, there really hasn't been, you know, a, any breath of fresh air there um, at all. So for that, for them to have that standpoint and we go down that stretch, we're not here to talk about the Kansas Jayhawk football team, like viewership's like <laughs> right now, because of that. <laughs> but Oklahoma, you know, the other game I think you omitted yesterday, Brendan, is Oklahoma State and Iowa State. It was a great game. Yep. Great game. Yeah. You know, on four, I, Iowa State, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, like, the student body at Iowa State. I got a couple buddies that coach at Iowa State. I want to text them and be like, hey, can you tell the student population when you're a touchdown favorite, you don't storm the field after the game? Uh, I realized kind of like they were unranked run. and Oklahoma State's ranked. There, yeah, were, like, there were two games yesterday where a top 10 team played on the road against an unranked team and they were underdogs. I'm like, this yeah. smells funny. And then yeah. <laughs> they freaking rushed the field. Like, yeah, guys, they, you've lost twice this year already. Yeah. They, I mean, they rushed the field. Um, and then they had to um, – then they played Sweet Caroline. I was kind of like, wait a second, guys. Like, what, what's going on here? Like, what is this? So, Enjoy the Super Bowl in Ames, Iowa. I, yeah, I mean, in Ames. Uh, there's not much going on there. But I say that because – and I bring that game up because the Oklahoma Sooners still have to play those two teams. And, and I, I think as you as you see it you know, going forward, um, there's a lot of football to be played. And especially in the Big 12, there's so much parity. Those teams beat each other. There's a lot of travel in that conference as well that I think people don't take into account. You got to go play at West Virginia. You got to go play at certain. I mean, like there's a lot of travel um, to all these places. I mean, they're all far apart. And it's not like Ohio. It's not like a, it's not like in the Big Ten where um, the Big Ten, for the most part, that travel schedule is not as 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 grueling. Uh, from that standpoint. So um, it'll be interesting going forward to kind of see who who kind of pulls it out in the Big 12 and, and goes and wins that. Uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to avoid this, but maybe I can't. You know, can we make fun of Penn State more because they had five-plus chances to make one play and win? Uh, I don't know if we're going to make fun of them, but it it is at least a good talking point because yesterday was the first time the country really got introduced to the new overtime rules. Um, you know, I wrote about this briefly yesterday over on BuckeyesNow.com. I kind of liked it. I don't know if I am like pounding the table saying this is the way overtime should be played from here on out, but I approach it from this perspective. You got 60 minutes to try to slug this thing out. And, and if you're still tied, you play a regular overtime period, which I love college football over 10 rules compared to the NFL. You play a, a regular overtime period that that's governed by normal rules. If you have to go to a second, you play another regularly governed overtime period, normal rules, with the exception that if you score a touchdown, you got to try a two-point conversion. And, and if you're still tied after that, the, the separation between teams is so small. I don't really care if it necessarily feels gimmicky the way that maybe a nine-overtime game would. 
I don't really care what the scoreboard is. You're trying to figure out which team can can sneak away with the win. Put it in this perspective. Overtimes three through nine, it's seven overtimes. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So you run seven plays. Would you rather see overtime number three where a team has a seven-play, 25-yard potential touchdown scoring drive? Because that's essentially what you're talking about. And some people are going to say, well, you know, the the ninth or the – the new overtime that's this two-point conversion off, um, it, it's meant to protect players' health. And, and look what happened. Illinois' quarterback got hurt. Like, that sucks. That's part of the game. But it's not because of the new overtime rules that he got hurt. Um, it, it, there were there were moments where I'm like, what are we watching? Like, this is weird. And, and I can't imagine how weird it must have been to be at that stadium. Imagine having a nosebleed seat at Penn State yesterday. And every two plays – you're watching a team walk a hundred yards to the other side of the field back and forth every single time because Illinois didn't want to play in front of the student section. I don't blame them. It, it had to be this weird, you know, event to watch, but there was plenty of drama. The game can end on every play. To me, that's wildly entertaining. And I, I didn't have any problem with it at all. Yeah. I mean, they, they stole from, uh, you know, the shootout format, obviously in soccer, uh, we also stole from you know tournament baseball, where you get the Texas rules, where you know, that's a it's a you know what is it a two one count and yeah, you know put a guy on count, runner on second out. one out <laughs> yeah I mean like all the stuff to try to generate points uh, from that standpoint I don't have a problem with it I don't um, where I think it becomes taxing is for coaches and, and the reason I say that is this most coaching staffs carry probably eight to ten two point plays in their arsenal throughout the season. One of the big points of emphasis this past offseason when I was still working in college football was putting together a analog and database of two-point plays. And the reason I say that is this. I would always keep on my computer just a running tab of two-point plays that I was like, all right, we got to use these two-point plays. Because the reason being is that it's such a small area to defend for the defense. It's such a small area for the offense to be able to attack and I'm speaking more from an offensive perspective here, it's really difficult to continue to come up with different plays in that area and to be able to do it. If you're in that situation where you're in a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth overtime, you're probably not going to be able to just line up and run the ball in at that point. It's usually not going to happen. But you have to call certain plays in that, in that, in that window to be able to get there. And, and you look at it now, Penn State has exhausted their – I guarantee you they've exhausted their two-point play regimen. They are now going to have to go back because what you do is, and this is more probably nerdy coaching than anybody else needs to hear. When you're preparing offensively or defensively for a team, you will go back into four or five years to look for their two-point plays. You do the same thing with special teams. You look back to find different fakes that they've run because teams lean on those things and they will bring them back or they'll manufacture them a different way. But that being said, like that's what they had to do last night. Um, and, and, you know, they went through that and, and they went through it and, and unfortunately they came out of it with a loss, but, you know, to have those many opportunities, I think it's exciting for college football. It was different. Um, the only other game that I watched prior to this, this year that I got to see it, uh, San Diego state and Utah. Yes. I am that guy that's at one forty-five in the morning watching mountain West games on CBS sports network, uh, San Diego state played Utah and that game went to triple overtime. And when it went to the triple overtime, there was an offensive pass interference call on Utah that actually brought it back and, you know, San Diego state ended up winning the game, you know, from that standpoint. So I think it's something that's really unique and interesting to see going forward. Um, you know, as we see it in college football, do I love it? It's a way to, to dictate a winner. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, it kind of cheapens it. But also, the other thing is you had 60 minutes to do it. You had 60 sure. minutes to win this football game. You had two irregular overtimes uh, to get to that point. So, you know, kudos to Illinois for just, you know, resilient. And, I, you know, Illinois yesterday, and I don't know if it's a segue into Penn State for us yet, Brendan, but, like, they came out yesterday at 13 personnel. They were going to line up, and Brett Malama was like, guess what? Like, I'm a big guy. We're big guys. We're going to push you guys, and we're going to lean on you. And we're going to try to set the tone early. And that's where, and that's what they did. You know, kudos to you know, Bart Miller, the O-line coach at Illinois, and, and their staff and everything that they're doing there. Um, they've really done a nice job of yesterday of just kind of running the football, understanding the weather, the environment. Um, I will give Penn State credit, though. Those throwbacks, I mean, you and I were texting back and forth. Those throwbacks I thought were nasty yesterday. I wish those were actually Penn State's uniforms. Those things are filthy. They were but, sweet. Um, you know, I, I really think that yesterday, from that standpoint, it was great to see – Illinois get back to their basics because really what they are is they're going to try to use the formula used at Wisconsin. And a lot of people have tried to do it. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to replicate. You know, you could go make champagne in a lot of places, but champagne is made where in France, right? You want to go make bourbon. Where are you going to make bourbon at? 98% of it's made in Kentucky. So just remember <laughs> there's certain places, you know, and you may try to replicate it somewhere else, but at the end of the day, there's something in the water, there's something in the grains or something that makes it happen. So I, I realistically think that they did a good job of trying to play who they are, knowing their identity, and really, they're going to be a physical team going forward. It's a big win for Illinois and Brett and uh, and, and their staff. I, I did not expect you to pull out a San Jose State ref. I'm sorry, a, a San Diego State reference. But I did see the highlight of the day yesterday. And I want to know if you did, if you're a San Diego State sicko. Did you see it? I did. I did. 86-yard punt. And yeah. 81 of it was on the fly. And it's the second time in as many weeks that Matt Areza, whose name yeah. I just learned, uh, had an 80-plus yard punt. If you haven't seen this, I'm not kidding. He literally punted the ball, made contact with it, maybe two yards into his own end zone. He landed the ball on the opponent's 19-yard line, and then it rolled forward five yards. He kicked it 80 yards in the air. He's the best I don't think I've ever seen that nobody knows about. I've watched, this, I've watched him three times this year. I watch this kid. He's really special. The other thing about yesterday, though, that punt was like the one that everyone's going to highlight. His punt of the game, though, his punt of the game. But I am such a nerd. His punt of the game. It's an Ohio State breakdown, but we've got you covered. On San, Diego <laughs> San Diego State, State Air Force. All right, Air Force. Air Force can't throw the football. We all know that. They're they're a triple option team. Two three minutes left. They got two timeouts left. Uh, Tested for a performance answer. I'm with you. Getting ready to him, Miles Garrett, and the Miles Garrett, yeah. Jaguars. He's got to start wearing sleeves. <laughs> yeah, get him, get him set up. I love that. But realistically, what happened was that punt. His next punt was he punted with two or one forty-five left in the game, and he put enough English on it that the, the return man from Air Force. I mean, because this kid out punts his coverage every single time. He's such a booming kick. There was not a San Diego State player in the screen when the Air Force uh, punt return man tried to get it. When he got it, when the returner got it. He fell forward because he almost dropped the ball because of the English that that guy puts on it. Um, and I don't think – I don't know how many people that are listening have ever had to return a punt in their lives. And, yes, looking at me, you're like, when the heck did you return a punt? A lot of college coaching staff <laughs> where you do the in practice and you make the line coach catch punts, all right? I'm, I'm nine and nine in my career, so I don't want to hear any uh, chitter-chatter from that standpoint. Nine of nine but, fair catches? Nine, well, that's all you're supposed to do is a fair catch. It's like practice ends. They don't have to condition if, the, if you can return, if you can catch it. So – Anyways, keep your elbows uh, tight. That's content. We got to do that midweek some week. I've got video, I think, from different places I've done it at. I mean, maybe I can get it uploaded. But um, <laughs> I know at least players have it. 
I digress. That punt forced the Air Force guy to fall forward, and he could not have a return on it, which then kind of <clears> pigeonholed <throat> them back. And then Kurt Maddox and the, and the San Diego State University defense of Brady Hoke, um, they're now 7-0. and They're playing really, really good football. I think uh, statistically speaking, they're in the top five in the country defensively right now. Um, and they've done a really nice job there. Um, and they were able to make them go four and out um, to get it. And unfortunately, bringing it back to Ohio, Omar Fatah, a former, uh, a former player at St. Edward, the Eagles, uh, actually got called uh, for a chop block on a completed pass that would have kept the game going. So unfortunately, uh, it ended there. Uh, for the Air Force Falcons. Are, are we at this point as Buckeye fans this last month where where, where you literally Ohio, don't know who Jesse Murko is? Sage Ohio, I'm grateful that you brought this up because I think this is hilarious. Could anyone name Ohio State's punter before he punted yesterday? Jesse Murko's a 26-year-old freshman who's a dude from Australia. And, and I really mean that. Like, he's the real deal. He's very, very good. Um He's an extremely nice kid. He's not a normal freshman, right? He played Australian football. This happens a lot. I know you've coached and, and recruited a few guys uh, from over that way. Uh, it's a different deal. You know, they don't play catch with their dad in the front yard, throwing, throwing the ball back and forth. They punt it to each other. Like footy it, bait, footy bait. It, it's, it's wild. But um, yes, it's kind of hilarious that maybe there are Buckeye fans, including Sage Ohio, who's like, I don't actually know who our punter is because we keep scoring so many points. Is um, there a better scholarship job, <laughs> Brendan, in college football right now? You get to go ride. I mean, you are the ultimate steak rider, bus rider, uh, plane rider. I mean, literally, we used to call them, we used to call them uh, steak eaters and bus riders. Because I was going to say, I don't think the Buckeyes bust home from Bloomington yesterday. I'm pretty sure they flew home. Are you sure? Oh, I'd be stunned if they bust home. Oh, with the, that drive's not that long. I, I, would I know it's not that long, but there's a lot of traffic. You should see some of the pictures. I I would uh, I would think most teams would probably bus, but we got to uh, get to the airport. Yeah, well, I okay. Know. I'm interested. I will be interested. I don't, I don't know the ops guy. We'll figure it out next time. Stay tuned, folks. We'll get we'll get the the lowdown of all the director of football operations at Ohio State <laughs> to see what the travel plans were for the Buckeyes yesterday. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, uh, okay, let's forecast a little bit going forward here. You know, you've got Penn State, Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan. They asked the question on the on the TV broadcast last night, and I think the answer from from Dusty Dvorak was Michigan. Um, and I I probably agree with them. But who who is Ohio State's biggest threat the rest of the regular season? And assuming Iowa, given their schedule the rest of the way, is very favorable. Um, assuming they're going to win the West, although it's not. There are actually I think three different teams that technically control their own destiny in the West. I just think Iowa's the the heavy favorite to win that. Uh, so let's assume Iowa for a moment. Um, who, who's Ohio State's biggest threat the rest of the way here that could keep them out of the college football playoff by beating them? I'm, I'm going to say the Michigan Wolverines, even though yesterday I did say the trap game will be Michigan State. I, I do think that Michigan State has a chance to beat Michigan. I think that comes back into play when you look at it from that standpoint. Uh, but realistically, those are the teams that I, I look at down the stretch. I still just think because of Michigan right now, I mean, the game wasn't played last year. There's, I mean, we've got a lot to unwrap when we get to that week, but it's just such a, I just, at the end of the day, I just think there's just such a, a feeling in the facility. Like you just don't lose to those guys. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to say Michigan state is the game that I'm a little bit more concerned about just because their ability to run the football. Um, I think that puts you in, a, in an interesting perspective if you're Ohio State, 
the defensive line is going to have to come to play that day to kind of play on the other line, side of the line of scrimmage. And if they are able to do that and they shut down the run, Michigan State's a one-faceted type of offense. Now, the quarterback's not bad, but he's as good as when the run game goes. They can't run the football. This is what's going to happen, uh, you know, going forward for them. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll go against the grain. I'll say Michigan State just to be unpopular. No, I, I think there's a legitimate, uh, a legitimate thing there. And frankly, maybe the game I'm most looking forward to watching in the entire second half of the season that doesn't involve the Buckeyes is next week, Michigan at Michigan State. Let's see. Easily the, the best opponent that both of those two teams have played so far this year. Michigan's defense is significantly improved from where it was last year. Um, and I think they're probably coming off their best game. You know, at times yesterday, they didn't look great early against Northwestern, but that was a, a pretty convincing win. I watched most of the game. I thought Michigan looked much better. Um, and, you know, Michigan State was on a bye yesterday. I realized Michigan State struggled against Indiana, which Buckeye fans are going to say, okay, well, then, you know, wake me up out of my coma when I, you know, when it's December 4th. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Kenneth Walker has proven to be a really, really good running back. He's leading the country in yards per game. Um, Mel Tucker, as you have said a couple times, has crushed it in the transfer portal, and they've taken a quantum leap forward from how awful they were last year to where they are now. I think he probably walked into a really tough situation where, you know, you're a brand new coach and you're trying to build a roster. And by the way, bang, COVID hits. Good luck trying to figure that out. Um, and and he's clearly made a, a big stride, you know, here in, in 2021. So, yeah, I, I am interested to see that game. And, um, you know, considering Jim Harbaugh says Michigan State's their rival now, I, I want to see if he can beat his other rival because you know, he can't seem to beat the one in Columbus. Yeah, it's interesting how you pick and choose who your rival is based on who's good and who's not good. So, uh, <laughs> well, we can't beat them, so I don't. I, I'm just going to ignore the fact that they're our rival. Yeah, okay, Jim. Not anymore. That's not as big of a game for us. <laughs> it's the game that we actually have a shot in. So, um, yeah, well, is that game? Is, that game should be the prime time. I mean, I, before, I know Ohio State. Uh, Penn State's no, uh, Ohio State Penn State's at seven thirty. The Michigan right. Michigan State game is at noon on Fox next week. Gus, Joel, and Jenny. The All-American crew on Fox. How about our friend Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> you know, I love Gus Johnson's energy, but I got to be honest, man, as, as a play-by-play guy by nature, I have a hard time with, you know, how he's hammering a call on a on a third and three where a guy takes a seven-yard out to the 37 midway through the second quarter. Like, that's a, that's a little too much for me, man. No, wait, wait for the bigger plays. You know, I... And, I, and this is another day story, but also he's, he comes from a little bit of the Tom Hamilton tree. This is not to water down what Tom Hamilton does, but Tom Hamilton can make a, a single to the opposite direction sound like the greatest hit in the history of baseball as well. And I, I love Tom Hamilton. I'm not comparing the two, uh, but from that standpoint, I'm always laughing about it when you say that. So um, I know that some of the old timers knocks on, on, on Tom Hamilton as well. Uh, the Cleveland Indians uh, radio guy, for those of you that are unaware of who Tom Hamilton is. All right, uh, we'll wrap up here with just your your final walk away from Indiana thought. You know, it, as as we get further and further away from yesterday's evisceration, I think that's maybe the best way to to, to frame it. Um, as we get further and further away from yesterday's game, you know, what's the what's the thought that's going to stick in your mind about Ohio State's performance? The continued maturity of C.J. Stroud and the absolute dominance up front, offensive line and defensive line. As our offensive line and defensive line keep playing at an incredibly elite level, 
you're going to see this Ohio State team just continue to go forward with it. They, they have the players on the perimeter. They have the players that are skill guys uh, that can dominate. As long as those guys up front hold up and stay healthy and continue to play at this high level, um, Ohio State is going to be uh, playing a long, long way deep into this college football playoff. I think I'm, I am starting to um, actually see how this really young team is developing because in the limited snaps that Kyle McCord and Jack Miller had yesterday, I thought they both played perhaps their best games of the year. And that even includes Kyle against Akron, where obviously he got a bunch of snaps because he started. Um, Kyle made some really good throws yesterday. Evan Pryor ran his butt off. He was running over guys. He's our fifth running back. Fifth. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm really, really impressed with the way Ohio state is developing the, the bottom half of their roster. And, you know, it just goes to show that the reason why the best teams in college football continue to stay at the top, um, you got to have elite talent. Okay. I'm, I'm not ignoring that. And you got to have elite coaching, but it's, it's the way that Ryan day and his staff yesterday late in the game were coaching guys as hard as they were when it was 0-0 or when they just came out of halftime. You know, they don't take any snap or any game rep for granted because of what happened last year and the feeling that they had so much catching up to do to get the guys they know they're going to need to lean on if they want to keep this team rolling for a long time going forward. Z, you know it, man. It's really hard to get to the top, really hard. I think it's even harder to stay there. Because then you get everybody's best shot and you're expected to be at your best and you can't stumble. And Ryan Day has said it publicly lots of times, losing is not acceptable around Columbus. And the Buckeyes, I saw it last night, they're now 112 and 12 since the start of the 2012 season when Urban Meyer came in and, and you know changed the direction of the program. Ryan Day is 19 and 0 in the Big Ten in three years. It's ridiculous. It's 29 and three overall. I mean, some of the things are, it's legitimately, there are things that are laughable, but to stay at that level, you have to make sure you don't miss little details. And I thought in a game that, you know, was 37 to seven midway through the second quarter, um, I, I was impressed by the way Ohio State's back half of the roster who maybe a lot of people at home haven't, you know, gotten familiar with some of those guys. I was impressed with the way those guys played. That to me is telling me, hey, this team has taken some serious steps. They are going to be right there in the thick of things. It's not just beating up on on crappy opponents early in the year. Um, you know, aside from that, the biggest thing I think of is this team has the ability to score every single time they snap the ball, no matter what yard line they on. No, no matter where they are in the field, left hash, right hash, it doesn't matter. Um, every single time C.J. Stroud takes the ball in his hand or hands it off, they've got a number of guys that can that can break off a big play and score. Um, and how demoralizing that is for a defense, especially yesterday when you know they had the touchdown called back um, and and uh, on, on that you know, the play we talked about earlier, he threw it to Ruckert. Matt Jones was illegally downfield, called it back. And instead of settling for a field goal, he threw a, you know, 14-yard touchdown pass or whatever it was on like third and 12. Um, I mean, it's just, it's it's demoralizing. It breaks your will. And, and you know, this team right now is really, really special in that regard. So um, that's that's the biggest thing I take away from yesterday's game. 
Anything to add? Are we good? I think we're ready to go. I'm uh, excited for a, uh, a perceived better team historically, uh, but uh, we'll break it all down for you. And one of the things that uh, going forward, uh, our traditional grades that we do will be more focused on those young guys that you just mentioned that played um, and really kind of taking a deep dive into those guys uh, going forward. By the way, real quick here, Sage Ohio, does his record include three of Urban's games? Uh, the games that Urban was suspended for that Ryan Day coached are on Ryan Day's record. Um, they, the Buckeyes made that announcement uh, at the time when Urban had to miss those three. Those three games were not Urban Meyer's record. Those are actually games on Ryan Day's record. So keep that in mind moving forward. All right, we got a ton planned for you this coming week. It's a big week. I know Penn State hasn't played well lately, but it's still Penn State. It's still a primetime game at the Shoe. Uh, it's a 7.30 kickoff, and there's a lot of people around the country that are, are hoping to see how legitimate this Ohio State team is. They want to get back to the college football playoff. They got to figure out a way to, to hang a big one on Penn State. I think this team is awfully motivated to do that. Thanks for joining us this morning. This was a lot of fun. We'll see you again real soon. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you don't, we do this all the time. We'd love to have you continue to interact with us. We're also on all of our social media channels, Buckeyes Now on SI, and plenty to come for you on BuckeyesNow.com. For Tommy Zagorski, I'm Brendan Gulick. See you soon. Buckeye Breakdown upon further review. Buckeyes 54, Indiana 7. Thank you.